Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me. I am so glad to share this time with you today. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people, concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. I want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. That way you can always get the next episode. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Here's a quote uh, from Helen Keller, and it goes like this. Although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of overcoming it. I'm going to read that again. Although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of it. Very good quote. But what are we to do when we're in the middle of struggle? When we face hardship or broken hearts or disappointment or failing health, it can be hard to see up from down and to know left from right, and to trust that there can be light and joy at the end of a long, dark tunnel. I want to share with you a scripture today from the book of Job that gives us a framework, and it's a framework that has three parts in it, a framework of testimony, of declaration, and hope that can help carry you through difficult times. Let's go ahead and read the text in the book of Job, chapter 19, verses 23 through 27. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead, or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end He will stand on the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes, I, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Those are the words of Job. He's been sitting with his friends for a long time. Well, his friends, they're supposed to be his friends, but they're not helping very much. I don't know if you have any friends like that. To say that Job is in a difficult difficult situation is a sheer understatement. Job is a man pushed beyond the brink. His sorrow, his suffering, and his confusion is far more than most of us have ever had to endure. Job is a man who clearly and keenly understood suffering. He knew the pain of loss. He knew the confusion that comes from suffering. He knew the grief of suffering. In an instant, Job went from being prosperous, healthy, full of family, friends, and faith to losing nearly everything. He had lost his wealth. He had lost his health. He lost his children. His wife has turned against him. His friends are certain that Job's done something wrong to bring about these tragedies. And Job, he's certain he's innocent, and he actually is innocent, but he faces serious grief in all that loss. And he's full of questions, as I think we all would be. I can't blame him for his sorrow or the confusion that he feels towards God. I can't blame his wife for being frustrated. As much as Job has lost, she has lost it right there with him. Her response is hard, and I do want to read those words. 
Because I think they give a picture of one way you can respond in the midst of terrible suffering. And then Job gives another answer that's very full of wisdom to his wife. I can only hope to be so full of wisdom in such a tough situation. Her response goes like this. It's in Job chapter 2, verse 9. And then it follows, I'll read verse 10, which is Job's answer. It says, his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity Curse God and die. Wow, what words that she spoke to him that way. But she's dealing with the suffering in her way, and it's not good. And then Job responds and says, he replied in verse 10, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. Perhaps you're feeling like Job. Maybe not with that response, but with a struggle, with hardship, with suffering. It could be something with your health. It could be something in work. It could be something in a family relationship. I certainly hope that your situation is not as grim as his was. But I also know that when you struggle, when I struggle, whatever the experience is of suffering, it is very real and very serious and can feel like everything and often is everything. In that regard, each of us can place ourselves in Job's shoes, or I guess I could say his sandals. I can also appreciate that Job experiences a full range of emotions in the midst of his suffering. I'm I'm encouraged by this, actually. His response tells me that God is okay with our working through how we feel about our struggles. Job expresses gratitude to God. He then pivots and curses the day he was born. He sits in silence. He challenges God with questions. As I read Job's response to suffering, I see that God allows Job to discover how he feels, how Job feels. He allows Job to express anger, to even doubt, but God does not allow Job to live in these emotions. And this is where there's danger when you decide to live in anger or live in grief or live in doubt. Those responses, that living, that staying there festers and ferments and produces a bitter, distorted reality. And so this is why I want you to examine the text we read for today's message in Job 19. In this text, you and I will find a pathway that leads through the struggle, through the hardship, and through the suffering, no matter what form it takes. His Job makes bold declarations. He has a testimony. He has his hope of seeing God face to face. These declarations, these three things that he does, his testimony, his declaration, his his hope for the future, form a map that will help Job to navigate through his struggles. I find it particularly helpful to note that Job makes these declarations long before he has finished cycling through his grief. Even later, if you keep reading the book of Job, and it's not an easy book to read, it's it's quite long and, and very complex, but later you'll find in chapter 23, he's expressing bitterness. In chapter 27, Job vows to proclaim the truth of God, so it's good, and he says, I'm not going to speak against him, but then he also says he feels as though God has made him bitter and is slow in bringing justice. Why do I raise these points? 
Because Job is a man in process, and God is willing to let him process and meet him in that process. But Job also has a foundation of faith and theology that guides him through this hardship, and that's what I want you to grab onto today. Perhaps you're in a struggle right now, and I urge you to put into practice what you see in the text today. Perhaps you feel like life is sailing smoothly right now, and, and you know I'm glad if that's the case for you. But you can still prepare a foundation like Job's, so that when you do experience a struggle, you're more ready for it. The first action that Job takes in our text today is that he makes a record of his testimony. He testifies. That's the first thing. He wants to make a record of his words. Specifically, in his, in his case, he wants to record his innocence in the midst of his suffering. He, he, he's saying, you know, my situation is I didn't do anything to bring this on, and I need this to be known. Now, Bible scholars spend a lot of time looking at the text going, well, what would it be like to use an iron on lead to write a testimony? That's a highly unusual practice. There's not many archaeological examples of that. And I think we too see it as a bit of a strange way to make a record. But don't let the method distract you from what Job is doing. He wants to make a record of truth. He wants to tell his story. He wants all, including himself, everyone, to be able to look at his written record, his permanent record of his account, and see what has happened. And there's real power in this practice, because memories fade, generations forget, and I can testify, I know I'm not that old, I'm still young, I'm in my 40s though, and I forget more than I'd like to admit. I need to make a record of things from time to time. And Job wants to make a record of his story, telling people of who he is and what has happened and who he knows God to be in the middle of this moment. The practice of testimony is very important. This declaration calls all who are present, hearing the declaration, the testimony, it calls us to truth. And it can remind the one who's testifying of the truth. And I can affirm, and I think you can too, that in the midst of stress, in the midst of grief or struggle, sometimes, I know I forget, and I think in those stressful moments, our brains are just overloaded and we forget. I can lose the ability to see reality in stressful moments, and so I need a record of truth that I can look at and keep me grounded. And a testimony can do this. Now, Job's testimony was of his innocence and who he knew God to be. In the same way, your testimony needs to be about God at work in your life. For the Christian, testimony is about uh, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus at work in the Christian's life. Traditionally, a Christian testimony is a story of a person's conversion. That's important for any Christian to make a record of, to write down, to keep track of. If you're wondering how to articulate this, I heard one evangelist describe a testimony this way. He said, tell your story and include three eras, the three time periods. You want B.C., your life before Christ. What was it like? Then, talk about the moment you decided to follow Jesus. And then finally, include A.D., meaning after you died to yourself and made Jesus Lord of your life, what was your life like? What did God do? 
BC, the moment of decision, and AD. Yeah, it's a good little framework for telling your Christian testimony of conversion. But testimonies can also be about moments when God worked a miracle in your life or made something clear to you, like a calling or led you into a deeper relationship with Him. Anytime God moves in your life, brings, brings a breakthrough in your life, there's an opportunity for a testimony. And there's real power in proclaiming these sorts of moments. And I would encourage you, if you can, to write down your testimony. I have my Christian testimony written down. Actually, as a pastor in my denomination, I, I have to submit it. It's, it feels a little strange. Submit it every year. <laughs> they want to make sure what my story is. But you know what that's become for me? Every year, and really more like every six months or so, I pull out my testimony of when I became a Christian. I was 17 years old when I became a Christian. And I read the story. And it helps me remember how far God has taken me and how faithful He is and how much I need Him and what He rescued me from. It's become an anchor for me. And I have that record. And it's something I read when I am discouraged and it lifts me up. And I'm glad that my family has that record. And hopefully they will be blessed by my testimony. And hopefully it will impact them when they're struggling. You know, if you're not good at writing, that's okay. There's all kinds of ways to record your testimony. You just learn how to say it really well. That'd be fine. But you know, we do live in an era of ubiquitous technology. There's smartphones everywhere. And it's within reach of most everybody, at least here in America, to make a video recording or an audio recording of your story. I'm sure someone would help. Challenge you. Have you ever thought about posting your testimony, your conversion on social media? Have you ever made a record and video of what God has done and put it out there for people to see? Don't discount the power of such a testimony, such a way of recording what God has done. Don't discount the power for yourself or for others. Now, Job doesn't only want to make a record of his testimony. He makes a declaration of faith and theology. And so, that's the second thing I want to talk about. Job declares. Of all that we read in the book of Job, perhaps the most famous verse in Job is Job 19.25. It's a big book. There's a lot going on in there. I love the passage where God shows up in the whirlwind and questions Job. But the most famous passage is likely Job 19.25, where he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And it's certainly the reason I first settled on this text for today. It's famous because it's part of Handel's Messiah. It's sung in that great, great piece of music. It's a marvelous declaration. As much as Job wants to testify about his story, he also declares what he knows to be true of God. And he says this, he knows that God will send a redeemer for him. Essentially, Job is saying, I know there will be justice. Somehow in the midst of this suffering, things will be set right. My Redeemer lives. These words are potent. The Hebrew term here for Redeemer is goel. This is a theologically rich word. In the book of Ruth, it shows up all over the place as the kinsman redeemer. 
That is to say that Goel is a justice bringer. He is one who restores, or just one who restores. It is the job of a Goel to recover losses and to salvage dignity. The firstborn in a family was to act as a Goel for the rest of the children, working to bring restoration when there was a loss, and this includes securing releases from debts of slavery, to avenging a murder, to if you have a brother who, who dies and has leaves a widow, the, to marry them, to make sure the family name continues. Restoring land that was lost was the job of a Goel. God is described as Israel's Goel, Redeemer, many times in the Old Testament. A few examples of God being described as Redeemer, as a Goel, uh, you can find one in Psalms. Um, there's a, a whole bunch of them in the book of Psalms, but one I'll just read to you now is from Psalm 19, verse 14. It says this, May these words of my mouth that and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That word is go well. Isaiah 44, verse 6 says this, This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last, and apart from me there is no God. So, all throughout the Bible, Israel knew God as their Goel, their Redeemer. And here we hear Job describing, and he is describing God as his Redeemer. Now, I'm not sure if Job pictured Jesus as his Redeemer. I'd like to, but I want to be careful about what the text says and does not say. Certainly, he knew that God was the ultimate source of redemption, and we know as Christians, as the church, now that Jesus is the ultimate Redeemer and our Redeemer and hopefully your Redeemer. And you and I need to declare who we know God to be. We need such declarations that we can stand on in the storms of life. Scripture supplies us with so many of these declarations. I just want to bring out a few, but my challenge is that you will seek out verses of Scripture that can become declarations. This is who God is. This is what God has promised. And I'm going to stand on this no matter what happens. So here's a few that people love to use as these declarations to grab on about who God is and what he has promised. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Perhaps, just thinking about it for a moment here, that good work might be sharing your testimony with others, making a record of it. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39 says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Philippians 1, 6, I love this one, says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Meaning, as long as you still are on this earth, God is not done with you yet. There's something that he is going to do through you. Trust in that. Galatians 5.1 It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 
Job makes a declaration. My Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives because he needs to be reminded of this truth in the midst of struggle, and we need these reminders too. And I would encourage you to memorize, write down, find a way to keep Scripture with you that you can use as a declaration for you to grab onto in the middle of struggle. The third thing about Job is that he hopes. The last action that Job takes is that he lives by hope. We often think of hope as a noun. It's something we hold and possess. But Job is living hope. It's the action of his life at this point. It's all he's got left, really. He's got his testimony. He's got his declaration. And now he has the hope that he lives by. It's not just a wish for what he wants, but it is certain belief. And as I read this hope, I find that it is hope that fills Job's whole person. He, he has hope with his whole very being. And his hope is for justice. His hope is that God will be his redeemer. And more than all this, his hope is that he will see God face to face. If you go back to Job 19 and read verses 26 and 27, Job states three times that he will see God with his own eyes, and his heart yearns for this. John Walton, in his commentary on Job, offers this rendition of the text. He tries to capture some of the amount of uncertainty of what the text says, but then he also captures the hope of Job in the midst of struggle. And so I just want to read these words of how he paraphrases what Job is saying. He says this, what he believes Job to be saying, I firmly believe that there is someone somewhere who will come and testify on my behalf right here on my dung heap at the end of all of this. Despite my peeling skin, I expect to have enough left to come before God in my own flesh, and I'll be restored to his favor and no longer treated as a stranger. Job expected redemption, and that redemption was his restoration for God. It was the hope that he lived by, and we are to be a people who live by hope. There's an Irish proverb that I think is pretty good. Hope is a physician to each misery. And we need to have hope from God. And that'll be, wow, a healing uh that will heal from so much of the struggles in life. Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 say this, While we wait for the blessed hope, ha, there's that word hope again, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to us to redeem us, there's that redeemer, from all wickedness and to purify himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. There's hope and redemption all in that text. McLaren writes these words, Those who know the path to God can find it in the dark. Today we've read from Job 19, and it shows that some, it shows some of the path that Job followed in his long, dark journey. And remember, Job had a ways to go yet. I, I just want to remind you, we read 19, but it's not till chapter 42 that he sees restoration and justice. His trial, it doesn't last forever, but it lasts a while longer. And I can't tell you when the next struggle of life will arise in your life, or how long it will be, or how long the one you currently are in is going to be. But the practice of testimony, 
will help you remember what God has done in your life. Declaration will remind you of who God is, and hope holds on to the future that God's redemption will be made complete, that this will not last forever. I encourage you to stand on those three things, that they will help light the path towards God in your life. Let's pray. Lord God, first let me pray for the person who is listening with a heavy heart. Whatever source of disappointment or struggle they are experiencing, I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest upon them and bring them your peace. Help each one of us to be a people of testimony. Help us to be a people who declare your scriptures and help us to hold on to the hope of your promised eternity. Lord, it is so easy for us to forget. So, Lord, give us a long memory into the hope of what you will bring. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.